Welcome to the Safety with Purpose Women in Safety podcast. This is a show that provides a supportive space for women in safety careers. We break down the barriers and provide opportunities for growth. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and join us at safetywithpurpose.com. Now, here's your Women in Safety podcast host, Tamara Paris. Welcome to the Women in Safety podcast. This is Tamara Paris, your host. This episode is sponsored by safopedia.com, the go-to place for all your safety resources. My conversation today is with Mary Jane Vince of SafetyWise. She works in the Toronto area and she is the principal HSE consultant for their North America region. In this episode, we are talking about her health and safety career and her latest article just published in the World Whole magazine titled, Learn the Error of Your Ways. Hi, welcome Mary Jane. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Good to be here. So Mary Jane, share a little bit about how you got into the health and safety profession for us. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Um, I had just finished a degree in ergonomics um, at university in South Africa, so not directly mining related. A new mine had recently started production and they were looking for local staff. Um, So again, as I said, I, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Mary Jane, I'd really like to hear about what is your passion? What gets you going in the morning? My passion is around um, incident investigation in industry. And it's a bit of a tough one because that shouldn't be interpreted negatively. I certainly don't sit and wish for organizations to have adverse events. It's unfortunate to have an incident and unfortunate that most of the time that my assistance is required it's after a critical event, which has sometimes resulted in loss of life. But through using a process like ICANN, there is so much positive that comes from investigation. If done correctly and root causes are consistently identified, organizations are able to implement controls to reduce risk and prevent repeat events. The principles of modern accident investigation frameworks, such as ICANN, Incident Cause Analysis Method, are based on the work of organizational psychologist and the human error expert, Professor James Reason, and his modeling of organizational accidents, commonly referred to as the Swiss cheese model, which I'm sure most people have heard of. That's what we base our ICAM process on. It's a holistic approach to accident investigation, where you look not only at the individual and the errors that they made, but going beyond that and putting things in context. Uh, context. How were other people influencing performance? How was equipment influencing performance? Was it the correct tool for the task? Was it used correctly? Was it maintained correctly? What were the environmental conditions at the time that were influencing equipment or human performance? Were there standards, procedures in place around those particular activities? So we look at incident investigation kind of as risk management in reverse, where you've been given an opportunity to identify where you initially failed to identify and manage the risk, and now you have the opportunity to put controls in place to manage that risk going forward. And I, like I said, I'm really passionate about it. I think that, again, you learn so much about an organization. And most of the time, unfortunately, when there is an incident, nobody wants anything to do with it. 
it's seen as the safety department's responsibility. And I'm always trying to encourage people to get involved because it's a great opportunity to learn about your organization, about its people, about the culture, and more often than not, it gives you an opportunity to highlight other areas for improvement too. So it's really seen as a proactive process. We're focusing on continuous improvement within the organization by making positive, real changes for the better. And that's why I'm passionate about it. I love my job. You know, people say to me, well, what do you do? And a lot of people don't really understand what I do and the benefits, you know, it's incident investigation is always seen as a negative, as, you know, we failed to prevent something. So it's a reactive process, but it can so positively be used proactively. Yeah, no, that's, it's very true. It can be used proactively and people need to start thinking about what can I be doing way before? Exactly. Because this whole, you know, oh, you know, I, I think people have gotten on, on the marketing train about what our jobs should be, and they're not doing what our jobs actually are, which is to, mm -hmm. to, is to mitigate risk. And you mitigate risk before it ever, before it happens. Yep. You don't wait for it to happen and then say, oh, I had an incident or accident. Now I'm going to figure it out. Well, I'm looking at people, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. You should have been doing that at square one. Yeah, and, and I was going to come back, and I think this is leading into this conversation, is everybody throws around this word safety and design. Ooh, safety and design. It's this big all-encompassing, and it's going to take care of everything. So if you don't have the right people there doing it, in other words, the people on the ground who do the job, who understand the risks, who know the challenges, you're not going to get it right. How often are things designed in a closed environment, in a boardroom in the middle of downtown Toronto, and then that's applied to a mining operation in northern Ontario? We're looking at static risks. We're trying to, you know, static risks in a dynamic, ever-changing environment. We do the best that we can with the information that we have but it's ensuring that we, we have the right people there to do it from the start. That's a it, very key thing that you're bringing up. Because like everything, you know, I relate back to my experience, which is incident investigation. And the same occurs when you're doing an incident investigation. Yes, you want to be impartial. So you want to have people who are not directly related to the event or in the work area when it happened. But you still want to have discussions with those people who work there so that you have a good understanding of what's going on. What are the activities? What are the expectations? What are the pressures? What are the processes? If you don't have that understanding, how do you get a good understanding of the event and what happened and why it happened? And if you don't have those people present, how do you put effective controls in place to manage the risk going forward? It doesn't make sense for me an outsider to an organization to implement controls. Those have got to come from the people who do the work because they understand the work. They deal with those hazards every single day. And that goes back to what you were talking about, about communication and connecting with people. Correct. Communication, collaboration, engaging the people who are involved in that work is going to get you far better results. 
You know, one of my passions is talking about group dynamics and safety and really motivating people around thinking about how can you build your team and how can you, you know, look at the groups and how they already function and where can you take them from where, where, they, where you, they are today as opposed to having a rigid compliance schedule for the whole organization. What are your thoughts on um, practices and safety management styles? I, you know, coming from my background where I'm not um, all that, not that I'm not concerned with compliance, but I don't have a formalized safety training background. I think, again, it's more about, yes, we have all these tools at our disposal. Um, and it's ensuring, again, that we use the tools, we use them correctly, and we don't get overwhelmed or bogged down in all that detail. We need to ensure that the people who are doing the work understand their hazards and their risks in their work environment. It doesn't help to present them with um, technical documents and checklists, those kind of things, if, if they don't really understand what it is that they're doing and what the intent is. You need to have a framework um, as to where we're going, what is the expectation for the organization, what is my role in achieving that common goal. And at Safety Wise, you use ICAM, don't you? Yes, we do. <clears throat> it's, um, it's really my passion. Uh, my role is has somewhat evolved over the years to be um, an incident investigator, as well as a trainer in the ICAM methodology, which is, for those that don't know, incident cause analysis method. Um, and it's a really robust, holistic tool for assessing why incidents happen. And if we go back to the conversation we had previously, it looks a lot at the group dynamics. It looks at the culture of the organization. It goes beyond just the individuals and the errors that they make. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you just write a new article that was published in World Coal Magazine? Yes, I did. It was titled, Learn the Error of Your Ways. And can you give us a little bit of information about what your article's about and what the inspiration was for writing your article? Sure. Um, I guess most incidents in um, complex industries like mining have some form of human error to them. And often we see that the human error is identified as the causal factor in an event. Something went wrong, oh, the operator messed up or the operator wasn't following the procedure. But concluding that human error was the causal factor does not assist in preventing future events. In order to fully understand the occurrence and the type of error made, it's necessary for the organization to not only identify the error, but to identify some of the reasons or factors which influenced the commission of those errors. And I wrote this article to demonstrate the advantages of using a process like ICAM to look beyond just the individual error and to understand some of those latent conditions and those underlying causes as to why incidents occur. The inspiration for the article actually came from my eldest daughter who is six. And I, I often take inspiration from things that are happening at home and relate them back to my work. Um, Mealtime, I'm sure anybody out there who has kids knows that mealtime with young kids is a, a dreaded affair. 
and it's no different in our household. My daughter Zoe is easily distracted and we spend hours trying to encourage her to finish her meals in a timely fashion. And ultimately, one of us leaves the table out of sheer frustration, leaving the other parent to deal with the fallout. And on one such occasion, both my husband and I left Zoe with a half-finished plate of food and gave her the instruction that she must finish her food if she wants to watch any TV, you know, the whole carrot versus the stick approach. And it could have only been about five minutes when she went up to her dad and told, her, uh, told him that she was done. And of course, he's very skeptical as she doesn't eat that quickly. And he asked her how she had managed to finish that food. And she responded proudly, Dad, I just stuffed it in there. And knowing what we know about our daughter, we knew there was no way that she was telling the truth. The dog was still sleeping on his bed. And so Jordan moved towards the dustbin. And that's when Zoe panicked. She ran to the bin. She held down the lid and she begged him not to open it. So no guess is where her dinner actually went. So needless to say, she was reprimanded and had to eat some of the dinner and then had to help out with dishes as part of punishment. And following this, my husband seemed very satisfied. But I kind of reflected after the event and I had to ask myself, what did, what did she actually learn from it? If she did learn a lesson, was it the right one? Did we really understand why she did what she did? Did we set her up for failure? Did we respond appropriately? The question I always have is, does punishment change the unwanted behavior and mean that it won't happen again? And I'm guessing probably not. I bet that we just taught her that the next time she should hide it better, or better yet, give it to the dog, then there's no evidence. And the reason I use this is because this anecdote is easily applied to our industry investigations too. If an organization really wants to affect positive change, they need to identify and understand what really went wrong. Go beyond the obvious of what happened to explain in a bit more detail why it happened. And it's often difficult because it requires a shift in focus from the individual, the person model, to an organization or a systemic approach where errors are seen as consequences and not causes of an event. Now, if you think of an incident in your organization where human error was probably found to be the cause, based on this finding, the recommendations would be along the lines of discipline or termination, Consider the next person who is presented with the same or similar scenario under similar conditions. Can we be sure that they would not make the same or similar mistakes? The aim of the investigation should be reduction of risk and prevention of recurrence. We want to implement controls that deal with the errors alone. Those are superficial findings, like counseling and discipline. They do not reduce the risk, and they do not reduce the likelihood of a repeat event, and in some cases have the opposite effect and drive down reporting. So if I think back to my daughter's incident, what happens the next time she's left alone to eat her dinner? We haven't changed the conditions, but we're expecting a change in behavior, and this is highly unlikely. So kind of a long story, but puts it all in context. If you don't understand why the behavior occurred, you cannot put controls in place to prevent it happening again. And that's where the inspiration for the article came from. And, and that's very important, you know, is looking beyond what just happened, backtracking mm -hmm. and figuring out, like, if you had served up a different kind of dinner that was more to her liking, would that make the ease of dinner time go faster? 
Exactly. And in this case, it was a very simple answer. She gets home from school at three o'clock and she's hungry. So I give her a snack because she hasn't eaten her lunch at school. So we ask why, why didn't she eat her lunch? Because at school, if she doesn't want to eat, nobody's supervising that. And if she doesn't eat her lunch, she gets to go and play. So she comes home hungry, so she eats at three o'clock, so she's not hungry when dinner's provided. So it's really understanding, you know, what were those conditions that were promoting her behavior? Exactly. To understand those, we can do better. We can have good, robust, effective controls for getting the wanted, the desired outcome. And then it also talks about you, us altering those behaviors that we're doing that contribute. Exactly. It's, it's holistic when you look at it. It's not just one person isolated working in a bubble. We're looking at how did conditions affect performance? Were the procedures correct? What were other people doing that influenced the way that we worked? Um, what was the equipment that was involved? How does leadership supervision play a role in why things go wrong? And that goes back to the, the group dynamics that we were talking about before. I think a lot of professionals overlook the importance of peer influence. Yes. And it has most of the time a negative outcome as a result. A lot of times when we as safety professionals are saying, well, why would somebody do that? If you actually kind of drill down, Often it's they've seen somebody else do it and no, nothing occurred to them. They were safe. Well, exactly. But it's often, too, from the organization, right? We've seen multiple people do it and we are aware of the behavior and we haven't done anything to change it. So we're almost condoning, um, allowing it. We're promoting that kind of behavior within the organization. Absolutely. Now, we are closing to the end of our interview, but I wanted to ask you before we go, if you could share with our listeners your most important piece of advice about helping to keep people safe. Sure. I think, um, you know, if I come from, from my most recent background of incident investigation, I would say that ensuring appropriate and effective controls are in place for managing risk what we refer to in the ICAM model as defenses, is key to ensuring people are safe. I'm regularly surprised at how few people really know or understand how to use the hierarchy of controls. It's a great tool. It provides a framework for determining the most effective actions to implement. And it's not used enough in industry. When applying that hierarchy, the idea is to, to kind of start at the top, work your way down. The premise is that the higher up you go on that hierarchy, the more confidence you have that your recommendations are effective and you're preventing exposure to the hazard before it occurs, or at least substituting the activity with something safer. And these are often more costly solutions um, as they require permanent changes to processes. But the benefit is, is that they require less management long-term. You know, once the barrier or the guard is in place, there's very little um, management around that. The lower down you go on that hierarchy, the less confidence you have in your ability to manage risk, as these controls rely on human behavior to be effective. And we all know that humans are fallible. And what I tend to see in industry is that we start at the bottom of the hierarchy, you know, use PPE, 
implement an SOP. These are easy, they're quick, they're cheap, but they're not all that effective in managing risk. So I would say focus on the controls. Have a look what you currently have in place. Is it effective at managing risk today, tomorrow, and long-term versus just implementing actions which are done once, I wash my hands of it, I never have to do it again. Your control is something that is long-term, it's a noun, it lives on forever. It's um, something that can be placed onto, say, a um, preventative maintenance program. You can measure it, you can check it, you can see if it's being effective long-term. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I agree with you. A lot of people think PPE is safety or compliance, <laughs> adhering to regulations is safety. But safety is really more of a long-term game. Yes. You know, I, I often, when I do my training, I often give the example that you know, people say, well, we should provide guys with the correct PPE. Absolutely, we should. But PPE doesn't prevent incidents. It only minimizes the harm from them. So we need to have more robust, more effective controls that can, you know, trap the hazard, prevent the hazard before something consequential occurs. Absolutely. And I, I remember working in retail. When I first got to the stores, they were still having the part-time staff cleaning ovens by wearing all this PPE and a shield and everything and, and spraying in a bottle of chemicals. And these are, a lot of them were high school students, you know, and yeah. so they didn't want to wear this, this PPE that was um, they had purple gloves, a yellow apron, a face mask, visor with a big helmet. You know, they're just like, this looks ridiculous. And so, you know, we went back and talked about like, how can we actually just eliminate this? And then we found out there were ovens that were self-cleaning. And all this worker had to do was put a little tablet that was covered in the middle of the oven, shut the door press a button. It cleaned itself. Exactly. Else? But we're going back to the culture of the organization and understanding the risk benefit. What's the cost and the impact of making a big change like that? And often that's a hard thing to sell if you haven't had any major event occur. Absolutely. Because they're looking at just the cost of replacing the equipment. They're not looking at what is the cost if somebody actually gets hurt from using yes. the chemicals. Yes. Sa safety is a hard one to sell when, when you haven't had an adverse outcome. We're trying to say to people, well, if you spend a million dollars, you might prevent an incident. Doesn't sit very well with your management team a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, no, you're correct on that one. It, it doesn't. Well, that's all the time that we have today. I wanted to thank you for being a guest on our show. I really appreciated being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Yes, it was. <laughs>
safetywithpurpose.com backslash women in safety. Please visit Safetypedia, where you will find many resources in the form of white papers, articles, research reports, and more. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the Women in Safety podcast. Thank you for clicking the subscribe button and sharing it with others. Make sure to visit us at safetywithpurpose.com for more safety leadership and industry discussions.